<clears throat> Abba, Father, we will never thank you enough for all that you've accomplished in our lives through your Son, through the resurrection. Thank you so much that death has been defeated. We have so much to learn, and I ask for a lot of grace this morning. There are folks here that are seekers, and Christianity is uh, something highly questionable, and I've got lots of doubts. Certainly that was my story. And we have those that just feel like they're veterans in their faith, and they're strong, and, and, and this is just kind of like breathing. God, give us wisdom. Open up our eyes, open up our hearts to dare to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, in preparing for the week, I, I have been extremely nervous. Um, I'm not a Freudian, although I've learned much from, from Sigmund. Uh, I got to tell you, your dreams kind of give you away. Okay? So here's my dream this morning. I dreamt that I was in one of my former churches, thousands, big, huge church out in Portsmouth, Arkansas, huge Corinthian pillars, very stately, massive sanctuary. And it was my time to get out to, into the pulpit to do whatever it was. I'll give the announcements, I guess. And I'm sitting in the pew, ready, like about where Terry Hughes is. I'm going to pop up and get ready to do my stuff. And look down. I don't have any shoes on. And my shirt's buttoned down to my belly button. And I am humiliated. And I've got to just push through. And, and, you know, it wasn't a naked dream, but it was a half-naked dream. Ugh. I wouldn't go to bathroom public place either, but... Man, it was just a little way my midbrain is saying, you are so nervous about today, you know, admit it. I'm going to give you a dream about that to help you work through the stress of being ill-prepared. So um, I always struggle with Christmas and Easter because I always feel the inadequacies of trying to get at the depth and breadth of what the birth of Christ is all about, what the death of Christ is all about. So uh, it is with humility that I... Uh, I share God's truth with you. I want to begin by floating this idea, stirring you up. What about world religions? World religions and faith and, and what many religions say about life after death. So that's kind of where I wanted to go just to start. Uh, a lot of people come to me and they say things like, you mean the, the, the little guy in a grass skirt on an island that has never heard of Christianity, that they're going to hell? Well, that's not very fair. Or what about a Jew who rejects Jesus Christ? Are they going to hell? These are big questions that we ask. Sometimes we're uncomfortable with them and we struggle. Like I recently saw an interview between a guy named Matt and a Muslim cleric. And the Muslim cleric kept picking on this guy saying, God is a child abuser because if Jesus is a sinless, innocent man and God allowed his son to be abused, that means God's a child abuser. Is that what you Christians believe in? God, the child abuser? You know. So some of the stuff kind of makes us uncomfortable, right? And we're not always sure what to say and how to answer some really tough questions, especially in a culture where if, if you are slightly offset to the left, then you're politically some left, you know, libtard kind of person way out there. Or if you're slightly to the right of the center, then you're some wild-eyed, radical fundamentalist. You know, we, we Americans uh, tend to think sometimes in very extreme language, in very extreme terms, and sometimes we lack the ability to uh, uh, think before we speak, maybe. You know, high feeling, low thinking. 
So I'm offering this just as a way to, to get some things started. This is what's going on in Islam. Uh, Muslims believe that salvation comes to those who obey Allah sufficiently that their good deeds are worth their bad. Okay? And they hope that repeating his acts, the acts of Muhammad, the things he did, things he said, sounds familiar, will be enough to get to heaven. But they also recite extra prayers, they fast, they, the, the five pillars of Islam, the main core beliefs, uh, the pilgrimage, and perform good works, and hope that it kind of tips the scale in their favor. The only thing that guarantees salvation for a Muslim is martyrdom. I have read the Quran, and the Quran does, does in fact say this, uh, Frank, that every male, with the exception of those that are mentally retarded or physically handicapped, must be a part of jihad. That is in the Quran. Okay? They, they're obligated to launch holy war, and should they die in that, it guarantees heaven, which would be a great incentive, right? Don't you want a, a guaranteed good thing at the end? So you can imagine what that would be like. Okay. Next, in Judaism, the Jews believe that as individuals and as a nation, that you can be reconciled to God. You can be one with Yahweh. Uh, through sin, individually or collectively, corporately, they can lose their salvation. That's why uh, once a year, Bruce, you have a, you have a, a sin offering called Yom Kippur. Uh, which is the annual atonement, and the whole point of that is it's kind of a national sin offering in hopes that it kind of throws a blanket of grace over everybody. Uh, but you can lose your salvation, lose good standing with Yahweh, uh, but they can earn it back. They can earn it back with repentance and good works, okay? And a life of de devotion. Hinduism, and this, this is a bit of a... Uh, it's a bit of a repeating idea in the Hindu mystery religions and the, the mystery religions of, of India. Salvation is reached when the worshiper is freed from the cycle of reincarnation and his spirit becomes one with God. One becomes free by ridding himself of bad karma, the effect of evil action or evil intent motive. This can be done in three different ways, through selfless devotion to and in service of a particular God through understanding the nature of the universe, becoming one with, with what is around you, or by mastering the actions needed to fully appease the gods. Does anyone know how many gods there are in Hindu mystery religions? It, it's, yeah. I mean, how are you, you going to work that one out you know, when there's thousands? Okay. And then there's something really unique, uh, and this is about Christianity. Christianity, when you compare... Christianity against other religions is the only religion that teaches that man can do nothing to earn or pay his way into heaven. Nothing. Man, a slave to the sin nature he was born with, must completely rely on the grace of God in applying Christ's sacrifice to the sins of the believer. People are saved by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Upon death, the spirit of the believer... The soul of the believer goes to heaven while the soul of the unbeliever goes to a temporary holding place called hell. At the final judgment, unbelievers are separated from God for eternity in the lake of fire. That is, that is core doctrine for Christians. Okay? And by the way, that might have made some of you uncomfortable right then and there. 
just some of the core face of Christianity, you know. Uh, remember, there's a huge temptation to make God in our image and lower him down to us because we feel pretty good about ourselves and we like to project that onto God because we want to feel pretty good about him. So if we can manage to make God in our image, we're okay. We, are, we think the stars are in some kind of emotional alignment and we're going to make it. But the scriptures say you cannot do that. We go to him. He doesn't come to us. We don't make him in our image. We have to accept him for who he is. These are some terms that I think might be beneficial to you uh, regarding the afterlife, uh, regarding atonement in Islam. There is no atonement uh, work in Islam or, in, or other than a sincere confession of sin and repentance by the sinner. The crucifixion in Islam Jesus did not die on the cross. Instead, God allowed Judas to look like Jesus, and he was crucified in, in his place. Did you know that? Okay. Okay. And yet, for us as Christians, the place where Jesus atoned for the sins of the world, it is only through his sacrifice that anyone can be saved from the wrath of God. Regarding heaven, for us as Christians, the place where God dwells, Heaven is the eventual home of the Christian who are saved by the grace of God. It is heaven because it is where God is. And Christians will enjoy eternal fellowship with him. However, in Islam, paradise to, to a Muslim, is a place of unimaginable bliss, a garden of trees and food, where the desires of the faithful Muslims are met. And that may include for martyrs, etc., the belief that there's a lot of women waiting on those guys. Okay? Christianity is very, very different. All right. Let's talk about history for just a bit. Um, I've got a paper that I've written. You can access it at academia.edu on family, gender roles, and marriage in the ancient Near East and the Greco-Roman world. I want to ask you to go to academia.edu, search my name, you'll find it. Uh, what's important is in my introductory material in that monograph, I deal with the issue of history. The issue of how do we know the facts? How do you really know what happened 500 years ago? How do you know what happened 1,500 years ago or 3,000 years? How do you really know? What are the facts? And there's a lot of tension in that, that issue and what historians wrestle with as far as what really happened. Uh, but I gotta, I gotta tell you, we are not so foolish as to believe that just because we don't have all the answers about history all historical fact is negated or cancels out. We can answer 100 questions, but it's that 101st question that we can't answer. Well, it doesn't cancel the, the whole of it. Does this make sense? It's almost like, like if I have a typo on the screen, well, it must mean everything I've said is a lie. <laughs> I'm sorry, there, there's a typo. Or some of you English buffs go, well, he, he dangled a gerund or he split an infinitive or something that was a semicolon, not a comma, come on. And therefore, with, a, with an error, a typo like that, then everything I say must be false. No kidding, some folks think that way, okay? Are there historical questions, Matt, that we can't answer? Yes, we can't answer them. But if you take the, the scientific principles of historicity, the very same rules, you know the rules of engagement are critical, right? 
You, you, you make the rules and you play by the rules. You don't change the rules when you don't like the outcome. You play by the rules. You know that in medical science, Jeff. You've got to stick with the rules, otherwise you are now uh, suffering from an acute case of, of subjectivity and bias. It's like those people that are trying to figure out who the real Jesus is, and they look into the well of Jesus' research, and guess who they see? They see themselves. And you do your best to make Jesus in your image. You can't do that. If you apply the principles of historicity to Jesus that you apply to Abraham Lincoln, or you apply to Martin Luther King, or you apply to uh, FDR, uh, Napoleon, Julius Caesar, if you, if you form the rules and you stick by the same rules and you apply those rules to Jesus Christ, guess what you get? You get valid historical evidence that he did exist. He did say these things. And there's a massive body of evidence both in, in the scriptures, internal evidence and external evidence that, that corroborate and validate the basic core beliefs of Christianity. For example, let's do some history. This is John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That is a great question, by the way. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Jesus hasn't been crucified at this point. This is in John 11, not John 20, not John 19, 20. Matthew 28, this is Matthew's uh, recording of the resurrection. After the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook with fear of him, probably 16 trained soldiers, shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. On the way, behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Cana, they collapsed in worship. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me. This is history. This is what happened. It is historically valid. It, it, it submits to the most rigorous 
applications of the principles of history that apply to any other historical figure. This is the truth. Okay. Now let's do theology. Okay. We did history. Now this is what we believe as Christians. This is doctrine. Paul wrote, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. If Christ isn't raised, raised, Christianity falls apart. It fails. It doesn't work. You are all still in your sins. Now we're back to Judaism. Kill a goat and hope it works out. Or now you're gonna, now it's Islam. You gotta do something, right? Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who've died already, they've perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Think of it this way. If all Jesus is to you is a nice guy, good looking guy with a beard and long hair, you know, wearing a robe or something, and he's just model of just kind of a nice guy, and that's all you're gonna get out of him what while on earth now like all we have is Christ in this life only then shame on us we are pathetic people worthy of being pitied he's just a good guy with a picture hanging on the wall that's as deep and as real as it gets that's horrible (laughs) Christianity is a joke And the foundation is destroyed and the whole house (coughs) collapses. Our faith literally hinges in singular fashion on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've done history. We've done theology. You get Paul. Now let's do this. Let's do discipleship. Look what Paul does with it. Because Paul is convinced that the resurrection is completely real. So Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know, do you not realize that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So for Paul, the resurrection is real. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Terry, you get to experience the same resurrection. You get to walk in newness of life. Cana, Christ broke free from death. We are going to break free from death. We who put our faith in Jesus Christ. 
this idea of, of new life is so powerful in Paul. He writes in Ephesians, I'm assuming that you have heard about Jesus and that you were taught in him as the truth is in him, Jesus Christ, that you put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and that you be renewed. This is a resurrection idea. That you be resurrected in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So it repeats the same, same idea in Colossians. But now you also put them all aside. This is the old man, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And you have put on the resurrected self, the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. This is what the resurrection and the life is all about. So, okay, history. If you want to wrestle with some of those things, you can read that article. There's several other things you can do. Theology. This is real. It's a doctrine. It's a core belief of, the, of Christian faith that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Regarding discipleship, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and in the resurrection and you're born again, you've experienced the new birth, that life is in you. And with that life inside of you, our behaviors are different. There's something in our motive. There's something in our thoughts and in our actions that reveals that. It's a kind of walk of faith. And it gets down to faith. It gets down to the question that Jesus asked Mary and Martha. Do you believe? Do you believe? All right. Now, you are the gifted body of Christ. The resurrection matters. It is the cornerstone of our faith. Absolutely. You, knowing scripture like you do, knowing your walk with Christ and the Holy Spirit, how does the resurrection transform the life of a believer? How would you advise a church? How do you advise on a spirit of gratefulness, a spirit of worship, the difference that the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes? Give us your wisdom. I want to open it up to you. Why does this matter? Or flip it to the negative. Let's flip it. Why do some Christians seem to be content with a picture of Jesus hanging on the wall? Or why do some Christians seem to be content that they have no signs of life? No life in their marriage. No resurrection life in their relationship with their kids. No resurrection life at home, at work. Why? And yet they claim to know Jesus. Why? Take ownership. The resurrection and the life. And Chris, I think I could, I could speak to this as a Christian who struggles with skepticism and doubt. The resurrection is obviously something that, as someone in medicine, blows my mind. <laughs> and I could never explain it. There's no mechanism which, by which you could reverse death that we know of. Um, and so for a long time, you know, that was one of the things that I felt very hung up on. Um, you know, how do I take the Bible as literal when there's something this bizarre in it, you know? And sure. I think a lot of people, especially maybe non-believers, 
may be struggling with that. And I would say to accept this cornerstone piece of our faith, it requires humility. We have to, in order to accept the resurrection, we have to admit that God is far more glorious and bigger and wiser than we can ever be. To accept something that is not part of our normal reality. I think for the intellectuals who maybe struggle with these kind of things, I would just challenge you that maybe you're not as smart as God. <laughs> <laughs> now that's an idea. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's been something that I've definitely grown through. So sure. I would just encourage yeah. people to yeah. have that. Thank you, Jet. Thank you. Someone else. Yes, I, I struggled with this for many years um, with the actual resurrection because it didn't make sense to me that if Jesus died on the cross, took on our sins, but then came back to life, I was like, well, then that's rather redundant <laughs> because it was like if he, took, if he really did take <coughs> our sins and that is our punishment, he took that then wouldn't that be it? Yeah. yeah. Like, why say it twice? I'll never, I'll never forget when it actually, when I was like, the glory of God is so great. It doesn't matter that sin is nothing compared to the glory and how great God is. And it was just one of those like, it was so simple. I was in a bathroom stall when it happened, but it was just one of those like, God, that's why. That's why. And there's no, like, just, I mean, there's no understanding. We can't understand it. And that's, I don't know. It was, yeah. I, mean, I struggled for many years sure. to actually understand what it meant sure. to accept that mm -hmm. when it some, seemed so redundant to me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Allison. Faith is a gift, isn't it? It is beautiful and powerful. Someone else, why does this matter? Chris, it's such a leap of faith because God being outside of time and what he created, if we could explain the resurrection, it would be pointless, it would be meaningless, it would just be something... Would we have to have faith? Yeah, we wouldn't have to. It would be something that would just naturally occur. We'd have there'd be resurrections all over the place. But there was only one. And it's Jesus, and it had to be a supernatural act. It had to be something outside of time and space that could do that. And only God fits that that thing. And if you want to live your life not accepting that there's something outside of time and space, then that's fine. You have the option to do that. But when it comes to the resurrection, you have to believe there's not. You're not going to find a medical reason or any other reason for the resurrection or why that happened. And so it is a leap of faith. It is, I mean, even for those who lived and saw him in the body, that it was a leap of faith for them, Thomas and the other disciples, seeing him in the upper room. It's, it, you, it is a leap of faith, but just as you clearly explained, if we hold Christianity to the same criteria that we do everything else, there's overwhelming data for Absolutely. the historical Jesus and the resurrection. And I would just encourage you, if, if you hold to that standard for anything else that you learn in school, for any other historian, uh, anybody else in history, I mean, who here can prove that your great-great-great-grandfather lived? I mean, so just to go back there, you know, is, it's almost impossible, but you know he existed. But there's overwhelming evidence for Christ. And put your faith in him, that's all I can, I can ask. We're going to sing, and we're going to do all kinds of things today that point to him. And 
I would just ask that you have that faith because if you if you have another answer that is legit that can explain it all, I'd love to hear it. Hmm. Well, we are so bad at making God in our image, aren't we? Bringing him down to our, our scientific principles. Yes. This, for me, is what authenticates what we believe as being supernatural in front of God. All the other religions that you talked about kind of have a core of making an individual a better one. Mm-hmm. And if you just go Christianity down to that, I think you've basically done what Paul said and said, well, you're to be pitied. If that's all you're ever going to do is teach Christianity as a behavior set, and here's how you can become a better person, blah, 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 and we can, we can help you with your lying or whatever, take your pick, pick whatever you want, because it's got no power then. You're, it's the Jesus on the wall. It's the resurrection and the power that that brings. Behavior change is a small subset of it, but man, there's so much more. And that's what has convinced me that Christianity is from God, because all the other ones stop at behavior. We keep going and going and going, and, and you're miles past it. And then at the end of it, you say, and it was never about what you were able to do because you can't save yourself. Yeah. Yeah. This is what authenticates it for me. Yeah. All yeah. the rest of them were man-made. They're very clear. <clears throat> yeah. If you think you have a great proof on the cortex, wonderful. Good for you. <laughs> I want to have a cup of coffee with you. I dare you to do a comparative religion study. I dare you to do an analysis of the religious systems that are out there that try to, that you think will... It, again, with healthy rules of engagement, apply them to all the systems and see what the outcome is and see what happens. If you can find somebody better than Jesus, a better social ethic, better doctrine, better if you can find somebody better than Jesus, would you please chase them down, get a selfie, get an autograph, and become a disciple of them? Please go right ahead. Jan, I can't find anybody with a greater love I can't find anybody with a, with a better social ethic that can accept a woman equal to a man. Remember the story about letting Mary sit in on the Bible study with the men? Do you remember that story? Okay. Do you know what Jesus was letting her do? Act like a man. Because only men sit at the feet of a rabbi. They're the only ones. Somebody with a, can you find a better social ethic than that? To accept a child as with an adult? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Okay? He's alive. And that life makes all the difference in the world. I want to pray. We're going to worship. And it is going to be so good. And we're going to get to say thank you in song. Abba, Father, I love you and I bless you. And I want to thank you for what you've accomplished in us. Through the life of your son, Jesus Christ. We worship you. Thank you for new life. In his name we pray. Amen.